chapter, sorry, Acts chapter 4, verse 1 through 22. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed to all, through them is evident to all inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may be spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, because the people, for all who were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, once again, happy 4th of July, everyone. Thank you so much um, for uh, coming and worshiping at, with us this, this Sunday. Like a lot of holiday Sundays, it's great. It, it, it's, it's funny. We're probably about the same number of people, maybe a few less. But it's like half of you are visiting here, right? And half of that half of you, your family to which you're staying with, dragged you to come to a church this morning. And pretty much that's how they did it in the early church. They just dragged their friends along and forced them to listen to sermons on, on a holiday weekend. Now, we, are, we are overjoyed to have you here more on us later. But if you're just kind of jumping onto the St. Thomas's train, um, it's important that you see this sermon in context. Since the beginning of the summer, we have been following the story of Jesus and his followers from his resurrection on Easter to his ascension in, into heaven to the giving of the Holy Spirit to fill us right into the creation of his church. And so now we're spending the rest of the summer looking at these early Christians. 
looking at the first church, if you will. Well, we are doing this because we want to see how they lived, empowered by the Holy Spirit, glorifying Jesus in word and deed in a world that was often quite hostile to them. Now, last week, Shea Gregory, the Reverend Shea Gregory, preached, um, and he preached excellently on when Peter and John did, did a miracle. They healed a man who was lame since birth. In the name of Jesus Christ, they told him to stand up and walk. You see, what these men did is they revealed or they unveiled the reality is that there is a new kingdom. Once Jesus sent the Spirit, once Jesus went up to heaven, sat up at the right hand, of, of the Father, there is a new reality that's broken into this fallen world. And, and the end breaking began when uh, Christ was born, but it was evidenced by his uh, resurrection and further evidenced by the actions of Peter and, and John. And so we pick up that story. Peter and John have just healed this, this man. And now what we see are the consequences that these two men dealt with after they announced and acted out of this new kingdom of our Savior. And as the scripture shows us, we can see that the earthly consequences were, all in all, pretty negative. I love this Greek Greek phrase, when they saw what they were doing, they were greatly annoyed. They were troubled deeply in spirit. And this Greek word has this, has this connotation that what these men were doing was sharply and strongly against all of the things that the leaders had wanted to happen in their watch. And so there's so many things happening here, but what I want to, to do is focus on um, three things that these consequences created, right? Three important things about these negative consequences. First, we want to see who was greatly annoyed. Second, we want to see why they were greatly annoyed. And third, how we Christians are to respond. So first, who was, who in the story, who was it that was so greatly annoyed? Secondly, why were they greatly annoyed? And then finally, how is the church to respond? So first thing, to really see what I think the scripture wants for us this, this day, I want to focus on who it was that saw this miracle, this man who'd been lame since birth, and he was 40 years old, and I think what that means in their parlance is he was worth giving up on. He was an old man, right? Um, I tend, as a 43-year-old man, I would like a second chance, please, okay? But in their, in their culture, uh, once you hit 40, it was almost like you were beyond saving. But yet these men, when they saw this great miracle, were really upset. Well, who are they? Well, we've got a list in, in, uh, in uh, two different uh, verses. First one is with the, the priests. Those were in charge of the sacrifices at the temple. There was the captain of the temple. He was also a priest. He was in charge of keeping uh, civility around the, uh, the uh, temple area. There were the Sadducees, this really um, uh, enlightened group. They considered themselves very enlightened. They didn't believe in the resurrection of 
the dead. And then if you look over at verse 5, you see that, that there are these rulers. There are these rulers on the council. There were 71 of them, actually. And they were the same ones who just a few months earlier condemned Jesus to death. There were the elders. There were the rulers of these clans, of these family groups. They were political leaders. And then finally, there were scribes, these experts in Jewish biblical laws. Now, why am I going to put through this, this whole list? Well, if you notice, this is an incredibly long list of people that were perturbed, that were greatly annoyed by what Jesus or by, or by what Christ's followers were actually doing. Now, you can't really do a one-to-one -one correspondence with us now, but, but, but if we look at the big picture, what we see is that all of these men had institutional power. All of these men were, were given the responsibility of ensuring that the culture and values of their community were upheld. And also, these men were raised in a system that shaped their understanding of God. Yes, in retrospect, they should have realized that their institution's teachings were wrong when they read the Old Testament for themselves. And yes, they, like us, were sinners and they were prideful and they didn't want to, to be wrong. And, and they especially didn't want to, to be wrong when they had con con condemned Jesus just a few weeks earlier by validating his followers. But I think it's, it calls us and the scripture requires us to put ourselves in these men's shoes. You see, what Peter and John were, were doing was a direct challenge to all that they were taught and that they knew was true. These men were coming in to upset everything. And I think all of us know that even though if we know that maybe our traditions or our views maybe may not be the best ones, at least it's the ones that we know. And when anyone comes into our lives and upsets them, it's greatly upsetting for us. When I became a Christian as a, as a uh, teenager, I was raised in a really conservative understanding of, of the Christian faith, which I hold to pr pretty much now. But one of the negative side effects of that was with all the right intentions, it focused heavily on the sinfulness of people, which is true. But it so overemphasized this and that the only way one could heal our sinful hearts was to turn to Christ. The way that I interpreted that, I began to think that, okay, does that mean that only Christians alone have right and good motivations for doing good things? Is, is that what, what the Bible saying? And no one corrected me on that. So I began to walk through the, It was only the Christians that, that actually did good things for loving reasons. And that everyone else that wasn't a Christian was purely driven by selfish motivations. And then when I was in seminary, this got really challenged. We were placed, in, and I was placed in this uh, secular nonprofit soup kitchen for the homeless. And those who led and, and uh, volunteered in it, they weren't Christians. And I worked there for three months, but what I began to realize is that these people had enormously beautiful hearts. They were not solely motivated by selfish things. Yes, it is true. Was there sin in their actions? Yes, just like mine. 
There was a desire to work off sins. There was, there was a desire to prove to themselves and, and, and to myself that we're basically good pe people that were not really sinners. And all that was there, certainly. But that wasn't it. There was a genuine love and care for those in need in this place. And an honest compassion and a desire to love them. And all of a sudden, this experience of these really loving people that didn't call Christ Lord shoved me back into to the Bible and made me ask new questions of it. And for the first time, I saw that all people are made in the moral image of God. Yes, we're made in the image of God, but that means many things. One of the things is, is that even in our sinfulness, there's still a loving desire to love other people. Yes, sin mars it, but it never destroys that love. And I was blind to that reality because I felt that affirming anything good in a non-Christian would upset my neat view of reality. That somehow would water down the need for people to have for a Savior Christ. I was just like those groups opposed to Peter and, and John. Well, of course, as we'll hear in, uh, in a part three, of course, the gospel um, is necessary for all people as good as non-Christians and Christians are. None of us are good enough to not need to put our trust in Christ to forgive us of our sins. All of us need the cross of Christ. More on that later. But my whole world was upset when I was forced to see the full biblical reality. Now, what's the point of, of this? Well, the point of this is that as we go out as ambassadors of Christ and we proclaim the good news of the gospel and we and, and people become greatly annoyed with us. If you're me, your heart wants to is tempted to, to just define them as just one dimensional evil people, right? They're just bad people. They're totally devoid of any good. We're the good ones. They're the bad ones. They're driven by greed and power only. We're the only ones driven by good motivations. But I believe that this story reminds us that it's not that simple. Are they driven by those sinful things? Of course they are, but we have to be honest, so are we. As good as our intentions are, there's plenty of greed and selfishness and wanting to, to be right in our own hearts. But I believe that what this story does is it shows us that as we, that as people re respond with, with, with venom to the message of the gospel, we need to understand what's happening in the world. This kingdom of Jesus Christ is coming in and upsetting their entire world. And we, like Peter and, and John, are called to have patience and compassion with them. That's the first thing. That's who was annoyed. And I've touched a little bit on why. But I want to focus more deeply on that. And that's our sec second point. So if that's who was greatly annoyed, now we focus on why they were. Well, as I hit at earlier, the, the message that challenged their neat little world and frankly challenges our neat little world is that this made Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead because he was crucified, 
And he was crucified because we are sinners and we, and we need a sacrifice. But this man is alive. He's been taken up in, into heaven. And now his followers have power. This is not a metaphor. This is not a legend that kind of began and grew over time in his original disciples that somehow this was uh, corrupted. No, we have very early evidence. If you want more evidence of it, I'll be happy to, to share it with you. No, what we have is this amazing message that we say this man, Jesus Christ, defeated death. And you see, why that bothers them and why that bothers us isn't just because it's irrational, right? We, we can go, well, just, that just ha didn't happen because I don't see that happening. People just don't raise from the dead, especially after three, three, three days. It just doesn't make any sense. But I think if, if you're like me, the reason why I really began to push back at that when I was a young person was not because I didn't believe that it was impossible, but because I didn't like what it meant. Because it meant that if this man, Jesus Christ, really did raise from the dead, that means that he truly is king. That means that everyone is wrong unless they agree with Jesus Christ. Likewise, if that man was really healed, if that really happened, then there must be more to Jesus Christ than we had thought. And when that disruptive power breaks upon us, it upsets everything. As we go out into this world, we have a very peculiar message. And that message is that this man, Jesus Christ, is in heaven. That he was killed on the cross, but that by the power of God, he has been raised from the dead. And now we have power in his name to heal this world. And I think one of the most painful moments for me as a person, I had this dear friend who we were becoming closer and closer friends. Kind of the friend that she always wanted. And then one day he asked me if, if I believed that the resurrection was uh, really true. And I said yes. And we had a nice, polite conversation, and we never talked again because he chalked me up to just being crazy. But that brings us to point three. That's who gets annoyed, why we get annoyed. Brings us to how do we respond? Well, we respond just as Peter and John do here. We respond with the loving truth of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us are called to act and speak in his name. He has been resurrected. And if that's true, think about if that's true. I'm not going to preach you a whole Easter sermon, but it kind of hinges on that, right? If that's true, then your everlasting life begins here on this earth. If that's true, then all the sad things will become untrue. If, if that's true, then, then Jesus really is Lord over your lives, not just your Savior, but your Lord who will guide you into deeper and better and truer things. 
Again, look at this wonderful verse. This is good news for all of us. Listen to how Peter and James and, and a John end their sermon. And there is salvation for no one else. For there was no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In this day, whether you've heard this a hundred times or whether you've heard this but you've kind of drifted away. Or whether maybe you're encountering this for the first time. Do you feel unsaved? Do you feel unsaved in your spirit? Do you feel this incredible weight of guilt of sins weighing down upon you and you're actively trying to work them off? If that's you, the good news is that you is that, well, A, you can't because they're too enormous. But Jesus Christ has worked them off and paid the penalty for you and for me. But it's salvation, not just for the afterlife, it's salvation for right now. Is there something physical that's oppressing you? Maybe like the story that we heard last week. Run to Jesus Christ. Run to his church. We've got a wonderful prayer ministry. Ask to people. Maybe there's something in your spirit, in your psyche. Maybe an addiction. Maybe wonder, way too embarrassed to ever tell anyone about. And you're so tired of being enslaved. And there is and there is salvation in no one else. For no, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. It's in the power and the love of Jesus Christ where even that addiction can be shattered and broken. And what must you do to, to achieve such a great thing? Simply ask. There are those of you walking in that say your sins are too great. Jesus Christ says, I have taken care of all of them. You are my beloved. I welcome you in. <clears throat> there are those of you who are walking in here saying, this is just impossible. I challenge you. I challenge you to think once again, what's your real objection? If like me, your real objection is that if Jesus Christ really was raised from the dead, then that means that I have to follow him. That means it must be true. And you're absolutely terrified. Why? Because you're like me and you're like these, these men. Here comes this strange man into your life who's going to upset everything. Well, if you are afraid of Jesus Christ robbing you of your happiness, robbing you of your joy, and upsetting everything, let me encourage you as one who's had the same fear. But as opposed to upsetting everything and destroying my life, he's upset everything and gave me true life. So, I end with this. What does the Lord want us to hear this, this day? Yes, there are consequences to proclaiming this, this gospel. The world will be greatly annoyed with us. And when it is, we meet them with patience and grace, knowing that this message of a resurrected Christ rocks them to their very core. And then, and finally, this message of salvation is not just for the world out there, 
It is for all of you in here. And if you do not know this great love, I invite you to come and meet with our Lord today. And this is good news for us sinners. Amen. Amen.